Hi, I'm Sharon, and this is my church. Today I'm reading from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really glad you're here in the West service with me or over in the East service or watching online. Thanks for spending time with us this weekend. Uh, I have been excited for a long time now for this series on the Psalms this summer. The reason why is because it's exciting to me the two things that we're kind of trying to teach you over the summer. Uh, The first is that God wants you to share your heart with him. The Psalter, a collection of 150 songs and prayers, run the gamut of human emotions. If you were to read all 150, you would find some that are happy, joyful, celebratory, full of praise. But you'd also find some that are full of anxiety, lament, mourning, anger, fear. There's a lot of emotions And I'm convinced that the reason why God would put a book of songs and prayers running the gamut of human emotions in the Bible is because he is inviting us to share our hearts with him. So that, second, we can go deeper in our understanding of his love for us. Here's something that I know firsthand. Uh, Feelings that you aren't talking about are feelings you can't process, you can't get rid of. God knows that about us. He wants us to share our hearts with him. And I'm convinced that the reason why so many of us are stuck in our faith and in our relationship with God is because we are not sharing our hearts with him. We've become convinced somehow, some way, that if we were to really tell God how we feel, if we were to really share our hearts with God, we'd be turned away, we'd be rejected. And so the problem with that is, is that because we aren't sharing with God who we really are, to the extent that we're experiencing his love, it's missing who we really are. But the power of the Psalter is that when we go to God with how we really feel, We are able to receive his love in that it speaks to who we really are. Now, if you're like me at all, the idea of sharing your heart with God is problematic, mostly because 
You don't know how to share your heart with anyone. Uh, that is not something our culture really teaches us, and it goes double, I think, unfortunately, if you are, like me, a stereotypical man. So when I come home and my wife says, how was your day, and I say, fine, that's mostly because that's the only word I feel like I have at my disposal. I don't even know how to elaborate. I'm not really sure what she's looking for. I'm at a loss. And I don't know if you've picked up yet the Psalm prayer journal that we have available for you in the atrium. By the way, I've heard that what is in the atrium is all that's left. Okay, so they have been flying off the shelf. So if you're on the fence at all, I don't think next week there will be any left for you. So I would encourage you to grab one. Uh, Pastor Mike Howard did a great job writing this, walking us through all 150 Psalms. At the beginning, he very wisely placed what's called a feelings wheel or an emotion wheel. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, it's been super helpful to me in my own life. The way it works, very simple, is you start at the beginning in the middle with a very simple emotion. Uh, and then you broaden that into a more specific word. And then you broaden that again into an even more specific word so that you learn how to pinpoint for yourself and for other people exactly how you feel. The, the advantage of doing that is it puts them in a position to aim at the real you. Let, let me give you an example of, of how this has helped my family. We use the feelings wheel all the time. I, I picked up one kid from school uh, a couple months ago, and when they got in the car, I said, hey, how was your day? And they said to me, it stunk. Life stinks. School stinks. Everything stinks. And I didn't really know what to say to that. How do you aim at that? So I said, hey, can we use the feelings wheel? And they said, fine. <laughs> so I pull out the feelings wheel, and we work our way from the inner circle to the outer ring, and we land at the word powerless. I feel powerless. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Why do you feel powerless? And they began to tell me of a, a situation at school where they felt trapped, and they, and they needed to get out of that situation, but they didn't know how to do it. And so I said, would you like to brainstorm some strategies, some ideas? They said, I would love that. And so we did that. And the next morning, they went to school and applied those strategies. And I picked them up the next day. I said, how was school? They said, it was awesome. Now listen, the space between how they were feeling and healing, I'm going to say this again because you, you need to hear this. The space between how they were feeling and healing was going from everything stinks to I feel powerless. And what the Psalter had been saying long before there was a feelings wheel is that that's where the healing comes from God. That as we move from feeling stuck in it stinks to learning to share our actual hearts with God, what we will find is the healing he has always wanted for us. And so each week this summer, we're going to be looking at different emotions that we can carry to God, different situations that might prompt us to pray. And this morning, we're going to be looking at going to God in the midst of chaos. So if you have a Bible, would you take it out and open it to Psalm 2, fire up your phone, your tablet. If you're watching online, open your web browser, get to Psalm 2. By the way, if you're new here and you don't know your way around the Bible, maybe you don't have a church background, it's awesome, by the way, that you're here. So glad that you're here. You do not have to have a church background 
to be welcomed here or to make sense of what we're doing here. There are Bibles available for you in the pew in front of you or in the back of East Hall. And that's actually the Bible I use. And the reason for that is so that I can tell you Psalm 2 is on page 418. So if you think I have no idea how to get to Psalm 2, all you have to do is know how to count. Okay, page 418. You can get there. And by the way, every Bible has a table of contents in front of it. So if you show up for any of our Bible studies, ministries, programs, you're always welcome, by the way. And if you show up, uh, you don't have to uh, worry about not knowing how to find something. Just use that table of contents to navigate your way to where we are. Uh, Psalm 2, three points in my outline I want to use to walk through this psalm. Three things, very simple. They go like this. The world is scarier than we think. God is bigger than we think, and there's more hope than we think. Okay, the world is scarier than we think. God is bigger than we think, and there's more hope than we think. All right, let's start with the first one. The world is scarier than we think. I don't know about you, but it is often my response when I'm taking in information about the state of our world, whether I'm uh, watching the news or I'm on, on social media or I'm opening an email that's giving me an update, the state of our world seems to be increasingly deteriorating. Crazy things are happening, whether it's mass shootings or wars uh, or political unrest, bickering, whether definitions of words are changing. It, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like the world is coming apart. It can feel chaotic. It can even feel evil. And I want you to know if that's where you find yourself, just becoming overwhelmed by the state of our world, by feeling as though we're living in chaos and the world is increasingly a dark and scary and evil place, that if that's where you find yourself, the Bible agrees with you. Look at what the writer of Psalm 2 says in the first couple of verses. He says this, Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the writer pictures a world in which the kings of the earth, the leaders, the political leaders, the social leaders, the cultural leaders are gathering together and they're not just plotting, they're plotting in particular against God, against God's people, against goodness. What he's describing here, and this word will probably resonate in our culture, what he's describing here is a conspiracy. An evil meeting in a dark room that no one else is in where particular leaders are saying, let's work together to unravel the plans and processes and people of God. Let's work together to move our world into chaos, into darkness, into evil. The writer of Psalms is looking at his world and seeing the same things that you and I see, saying, how did we get here? Why is so much going on? The world is dark and it is scary and it is broken and it feels like chaos. Now, I want you to see that the reason why that's important is because the Bible is written to the real world. 
It does not picture this fairy tale universe in which everyone is happy and everything always goes right and everyone walks around with kind of a dumb grin on their face. The Bible is written in a world that is evil, in a world that is dark, in a world that is full of conspiracy. And by the way, this shouldn't surprise us. We don't just need Psalm 2 for this. The story of the Bible is full of these kinds of things. Like in Exodus, when Pharaoh hatches a secret plan to have the Hebrew midwives murder the male babies so that the Israelites can't grow in strength and become a political problem for him. In the book of Esther, a man named Haman launches an evil plan to commit genocide and wipe out the Jewish people. In the book of Daniel, political leaders conspire to pass legislation that will make praying to the God of the Bible illegal so that when Daniel does it, they might have him killed and take his job. In the New Testament, political and religious leaders are always conspiring against the early church, seeking to stamp it out and to imprison and even murder its leaders. The Bible has a world in which evil seems to always be increasing. And the reason why I want you to understand that is because I think there's a form of religion that would tell us when we come up against that, we should act as though we don't see it. Pretend like it isn't out there. Swallow our anxiety, swallow our fear, and pretend as though everything is great. To be, as I call it, happy and clappy. So that when I use my feelings wheel and I start with, I feel fearful, which is often how I feel. And then I break that up into, well, I feel scared, anxious, insecure, weak, rejected, threatened, or even more specific, helpless, frightened, overwhelmed, worried, inadequate, inferior, worthless, insignificant, excluded, persecuted, nervous, exposed. There are those who would tell me, just get over it. But let me ask you, do you resonate with any of those words? Do you not find yourself feeling increasingly like those are the words that describe how you feel? And what I want you to see is that the reason why this psalm, and by the way, so many others, that depict the evil in our world are included is because God is saying to you, I know your world is evil. I know you'll come up against it. And when you do, it's okay to say so. It's okay to go to God with your fear. It's okay to go to God with your worry. It's okay to go to God with your, insecure, with your insecurity, with your anxiety. It's okay to go to God and, I, and say, I feel like the world is coming apart. I feel like people in dark rooms are making decisions that are unraveling my world. It may be true that religious people will tell us to pretend it doesn't feel that way. But God will never do that to you. Because the world isn't just scary. Psalm 2 tells us it's even scarier than you think. But here's the second thing. It also tells us that God is bigger than we think. You've got the kings of the earth gathering together. These are kings. They're in charge. They have armies. 
They have staffs. They have countries that they lead. These are powerful people in a room hatching plans. And yet look at how God responds. Psalm 2 verse 4. It's one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. Look at what it says. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Now there are two reasons why God laughs in Psalm 2 verse 4. The first reason is that he knows the secret meeting is happening. The kings of the earth are gathering together, hatching plans, and the Lord laughs because you know how I know that? He knows it. He sees it. Right? He's laughing because at the idea that, you know, hey, I'm God, one of the things that's in my job description is you can't hide from me. There are no dark rooms, dark corners of the world in which God can't see. There are no plans being hatched in which God, of which God is not aware. But the second reason God laughs is because their plans can in no way threaten him. Look at what he goes on to say. He laughs. He holds them in derision. In verse 5, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Verses 10 and 11 say, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You see, the idea here is that you guys might be kings, but I'm God. You might have plans, but I'm God. You might have a conspiracy, but I'm God. God is laughing at the absurdity that they could hide from him. And it is the even greater absurdity that anything they do would be possible unless he allows it. Now, this is something the Bible also teaches us. Because do you know how you and I know that Pharaoh hatched an evil plan to have the Hebrew midwives murder male children? How do we know that? Because God knew. How do we know about Haman's plan to commit genocide using his political power in the book of Esther? Because God knew. How do we know about the political leaders and the meeting they had with the king to pass the legislation to make it illegal to pray in Daniel? Because God knew. How do we have the minutes of various meetings in the book of Acts where they are trying to stamp out the early church? Because God saw those meetings. You see, the Bible tells us the world is scary, even scarier than we think. It affirms the idea that there is evil, that there are conspiracies, that evil is always seeking to encroach, but it also affirms the idea that God is bigger than any of that. So you see, when we go to God with our fear and our anxiety and our nervousness and our worry, we shouldn't expect that he will push us to naivete. Just pretend it isn't out there. Just ignore it. But we should neither expect that he will push us to despair. I want you to hear me on this. I am hearing of families that are being torn apart because of conspiracy theories. Certain family members believe them and are worried they're going to destroy our world. Other family members don't. I want you to see how the Bible is helping us here because the Bible is saying two things. Number one, there is more evil than we think in our world. And there are evil plans afoot that we do not know about. But the second thing it tells us is that God is in control of everything. 
If you're here this morning and you are scared and worried and buying into the idea that conspiracies are unraveling our world and then if we don't do something, our world will be destroyed, then it might be that the most important verse in all of the Bible for you is Psalm 2-4. Whatever the conspiracy is that you are worried about, here's what you need to hear. The Lord looks at it, even if true, and he laughs. He laughs. Not because he doesn't care, not because he's callous, not because he doesn't care what's happening in the world. He's laughing at the absurdity that anyone thinks they can plan outside of his sight. Or that anyone thinks they can plan outside of his control. So while one group pushes us to just pretend like evil isn't encroaching, and another group pushes us to believe that if we don't do something, the world will be destroyed, the Bible says evil is real and it's scarier than you think, but God is bigger than you think. The Christian answer to evil is to look it in the eye and to say God is bigger than you. So when we go to God with our anxiety, when we go to God with our fear, what we should expect from him is to love us and to welcome us and in some ways to legitimize the evil that we're up against, but also to remind us of how big he is. And I know it's easy to do that when you've got the whole story. It's easy to do that and say, well, if I was an Israelite in Exodus... Sure, I I would see what God is doing. If I was in the story of Esther or the story of Daniel or the New Testament. But, But Zach, what about today? In a world that seems to be increasingly chaotic, how do I know that God is in control today? What hope do I have? Well, that's my third point, which is there's more hope than we think. Listen, the psalmist in Psalm 2 gives us a place to look for hope. He tells us, listen, evil people have evil plans, but God is bigger than you think. And then he says this, God has his own plan. Look at what the writer says in Psalm 2. This is what he says. As for me, verse 6, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, the writer of Psalms says, yeah, they're evil. And yes, they have evil plans, but God is bigger than them and God has his own plans. What the writer is saying is that God has his plan and God is not in the habit of losing. You see, the answer to the evil of our world isn't to pretend it isn't out there, but neither is to pretend that somehow we're the ones who have to face it down. The answer to the evil of our world is to remember that God has a plan and he's not in the habit of losing. Consider that in the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh is hatching his plan to have the male babies murdered, God has one baby put in a basket and float down a river. And the woman who finds that baby is Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter rescues this baby and raises the baby in Pharaoh's own home. 
So that when Pharaoh in his secret meeting is saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to murder the male babies. That way the Israelites won't be able to form up an army and, and, and rise up against us. God is laughing. Why? Because he doesn't care? No, he cares. He's laughing because while Pharaoh is saying that, there's a little boy named Moses eating Pharaoh's food, going to Pharaoh's schools, playing with Pharaoh's toys, who will return years later and say, let my people go. You see, because God had a plan and God's not in the habit of losing. God laughed when Haman hatched his plot to commit genocide over Israel. He laughed because here's Haman, big important guy, and God is raising up a young girl who will go to the king and advocate for her people and bring down the plot herself. Her name was Esther. God's laughing because the book's not called Haman. Do you know what I mean? In the, in the story of Daniel, when they go to the king and they pass legislation to make it illegal to pray to the God of the Bible, God laughs. Why? Because he goes, this is great. Now you'll throw Daniel in the lion's den and I'll have him cuddle all night. And then when the king runs out the next morning and says, Daniel, did your God save you? Daniel will say, yeah, God, lions are big, but my God is bigger. And a pagan king will pass a new law that the only God you can pray to is the God of the Bible. God laughs when the geopolitical leaders in the book of Acts try to stamp out his church because he says, you can put him in prison. I'll send an angel, I'll send an earthquake, and we'll just keep going. Friends, the story of the Bible is a story of an evil world where evil men and women plot evil things. But it's also the story of a big God who has his own plan. And I get it. We're not in Exodus. We're not in Esther. We're not in Daniel. We're not in Acts. So who cares, right? Except for this. The real place we go if we want to find hope in the midst of evil is to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, the righteous man, whose life was taken, I might add, at the hands of a conspiracy. As religious and political leaders conspired against him in dark rooms where no one was because they cared about their own power and their own authority and their own jobs. And they know he's innocent, but they conspire against him anyway to murder him. So do you think when you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, the evil of this world is freaking me out, do you think he can't understand? Was he not the one who prayed in the garden, sweating drops of blood? If there's any other way, let's do it that way. Jesus is well acquainted with the evil of this world, more than you and I will ever be. And yet Jesus surrenders to the evil of this world. Do you remember what Pilate says to him? Don't you know I have the power over you to live or die? And Jesus says to him, the only power you have is the power God has given you. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Pilate, you have a plan. That's cute. But God has a plan and he's not in the business of losing. And when they murdered Jesus, they smacked their lips and ran, rubbed their hands together, put a big stone, big stone, evil stone in front of the tomb and they said, well, that takes care of that. Only it didn't because God is bigger than the evil of this world. And three days later when Jesus rose from the dead and then went on to ascend into heaven and to sit at the right hand so that when Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, it means Jesus. He's the king who will one day destroy all evil. He's the king whose kingdom will not lose. He's a king well acquainted with the evil of this world, but he's a king who has faced their best shot and beaten them. Listen, 
I don't want us to be a church full of naive people pretending that the world isn't broken, pretending that it isn't evil. That would be living outside of the Bible. But neither do I want us to be people full of despair, freaking out, buying into an entire industry in our culture that is designed to profit off our fear. And I certainly don't want families to be ripped apart because we're worried about what's happening in dark rooms. I want to be people who see Jesus as the one who proves Psalm 2-4 true. The Lord looks at the evil of our world and he laughs because he's got a plan. And he's not in the habit of losing. If what's keeping you from moving forward with God is a fear that you feel guilty admitting, don't. Don't feel guilty. Go to God with fear. Go to God with insecurity. Go to God with anxiety. Go to God. Go to God and say, I watch the news and I'm freaking out. And let God speak to you the promise that he has a plan. His plan is Jesus. And he's not in the habit of losing. Let me pray for us. Father God, I confess. I'll go first. I confess my fear. I confess the fear of being a father of five kids and not knowing what life's going to look like for them in 15, 20 years. The fear of being an evangelical pastor and not knowing what life's going to look like for me in 15 years. I'm so grateful that we can come to you with our fear. But I'm also grateful that you, Holy Spirit, won't let us stay there. Because there are too many reasons to trust that you are doing something good. God, help us not to freak out indefinitely about what you laugh at. And the whole reason we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus is because he has convinced us that that is true. In his name we pray, amen.